Uh, today we begin a brand new series that uh, we're calling What We Do. Uh, it's a series about generosity, and generosity is one of those things that we want people to, uh, to say about us when we die, right? Uh, I, do, I do funerals, and uh, no one has ever stood up at a funeral and said, yeah, he was kind of mean and cheap. I'm sure that there are people who, who have died who were mean and cheap, but no one ever says that, right? They always say other things, right? They say they were kind. They say they were generous, right? So this is what we want our life story to be about. We want our life story to be about generosity, and we want that to be something that's at the top of the list. Often, though, when we talk about generosity, it's assumed that this is only about money, but generosity isn't just about money. It, is, it does include money, but generosity is about our time and our talents and our gifts and all of our resources. Uh, it also includes how we handle relationships, that we can be generous with our relationships, right? Uh, a few weeks or months ago, I talked about the idea of having generous assumptions about other people that we assume in every circumstance. How can we uh, assume generously, right? That generosity properly understood is not just about giving away our money, it's about living a life of abundance in every circumstance. And so uh, I want to pause just for a second, though, because when we talk about generosity, people often go right to money, and that's not going to change. When we talk about generosity, the assumption is money. And so I want to do two exercises with us. Uh, I did this a few years ago, and it still, uh, still uh, works today. So I want you to take out your phone. Never had me say that before, have you? I want you to take out your phone, and uh, if you don't have Wi-Fi uh, in here, it is, uh, is available. Uh, hook up if you need to. And I want you to go to a website, okay? Now, here's what happens when we talk about generosity. The first thought that people have is, oh, this message is for someone else because I'm not rich. So I want you to go to globalrichlist.com. It's up on the screen. It's globalrichlist.com. The information is not shared with anybody else. It's just a math uh, equation for you, okay? So when you get to that site, uh, go to the next slide, you'll see this, all right? Uh, you'll see that it says uh, you can click on income or wealth. Uh, you can do the wealth one later because you have to do all your assets there. But if you click on income, then you click on the dollar because we're in the USA, okay? So you click on dollar and then you enter your annual net income. Now, it's your net income. So this is your take-home pay, okay? So you get to take all that other stuff off, all right? So you can do this later if you don't want to do it now, but you're welcome to do it now as well, all right? When I did it, I put the courthouse information in there, and when the courthouse information came out, you'll see on the next screen that we, the courthouse, some of them are here today. Did you know that we are in the top, not 1%, we are in the top one-tenth of one percent of the richest people in the world by income. I am loaded. <laughs> so I encourage you to fill that out. When comparing our riches right here in the U.S. of A., we are the richest of the seven billion people in the world. As a matter of fact, if you make... $33,000 a year or more, you are in the richest 1% of the world. That means 99% of the 7 billion people in our world make less than you. We are rich. 
So the first assumption is that I'm not rich, but we are rich. The second thought is, and this is also uh, a common thought, is when we talk about generosity, people say, oh, this message is for someone else because I already, I'm generous. I give. The basket went by, the bucket, excuse me, we use buckets. The bucket went by, and I give. Most people think they're generous because they give, but giving and being generous are two different things. Did you know the IRS knows that as well? The IRS knows how much the average person in your income level, whatever your income level is, they know how much the average person in your income level donates to charity. And if your deductions in that area are significantly above average, it causes a red flag for the IRS and it may increase your chances of an audit. In other words, if you earn a certain amount in a year and you claim a charitable contribution deduction that is significantly above the national average, a red flag may go off and they may then consider giving you an audit. So I decided to find out what is the national average. And so USA Today in July 2018, I Googled it, said that under, and that's why I want you to notice, there's a trend here. Notice the trend. People who make under $15,000 per year give $1,471 on average. That's 9% of their income. Notice the trend. The more money we make, the less money we give away. The more we have, the less we give. So when some, and so when someone gives more than the national average to charity, a red flag goes off in the IRS. So my conclusion here is we're not as generous as we think we are, and we are rich even when we believe we are not. So that's important to know as we're about to read a story uh, of Jesus and an encounter he had with a person. It's from Matthew chapter 19. It's not going to be up on the screen. Flip that back for a second if you don't mind. Uh, I want to uh, read this story to you. I should have put a blank slide in there. Sorry about that. Uh, and so it says this in Matthew chapter 19. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Look at that. That's amazing, huh? I make a demand that it happens. Look at that. I'm going to come up with something. I'm loaded, and I can just make, like, do it, do it, make it so. Oh, yeah, it's going well. Today is going so well. So in Matthew chapter 19, there's this story about a man who comes up to Jesus. Now, when you read all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find out some interesting things about this man. We find out, and he's been called, and if you've gone to church before, you've heard, this man is called the rich young ruler. Matthew doesn't tell us those things, but Mark and Luke do. But together, we come up with this compilation of who this guy is. So someone, someone who's rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler, all right, comes to Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, what good things must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Only God is good. But to answer your question, you can receive eternal life if you keep the commandments. The man then says, which ones? And Jesus replied, do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, do not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother because it's Father's Day. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the young man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else? It's like you said, I, I'm on board. What else can I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, you can flip that next slide now. Now I'm ready. 
If you want to be perfect, go and sell all you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The word translated perfect there can also be translated if you want to be complete. If you want to be complete. It could also be translated mature. If you want to be mature, Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, if you want to be full grown, sell all your stuff and give it away. I could go on and on about this young man because he, this is one of my favorite characters because it's filled with so many different directions we can go. He's done everything in life to be respectable. He hasn't murdered anybody. Well, good for him, right? He hasn't committed adultery. boy. He hasn't stolen. He didn't lie or cheat, and he's obeyed his parents. That seems to be a pretty low bar, wouldn't you suggest? And Jesus says, if you want to be complete, if you want to be at peace with God, if you want to experience fulfillment in your life, you need to reclaim your heart. Well, Rick, where does it say reclaim your heart? It says give away all your possessions. I would suggest that Jesus is challenging this man to irrational generosity. He's saying to him, let the IRS throw up a red flag. Because you need to get your heart back. See, this is not a story about money. This is a story about a heart. I believe Jesus is asking him where you're giving your heart. This is a story about choosing a kingdom, about choosing where your heart is going to live, because generous generosity is about the heart, not the wallet. This isn't a story about wealth or success being wrong. That's not what I'm suggesting here. It's a story that asks, where is your heart? Where are you giving your heart. See, the reality is there are these two competing kingdoms that we have to address. Two kingdoms is kind of the word that Jesus used in scriptures, but for us, it might be two perspectives or maybe even two worldviews. There's two different ways to view our world. There's an earthly worldview, and I'm, I'm looking at it this way. An earthly worldview is down and in. Down and in. Happiness comes from having more. A worldview of down and in is believing that there are limited resources and yet there are unlimited needs and desires. An earthly worldview or a down and in worldview says, I can't give it away because if I give things away, I'm going to diminish my happiness. An earthly worldview of down and in says, I'd be more generous if I had enough for me first. In a down and in worldview, we are the owners. I am the owner. And I look down and in because I want to see how much I can get for me. It's all about mine and me. But there's a heavenly worldview There's these two worldviews. There's one that says down and in. There's another that says up and out. A heavenly worldview is up and out. God has blessed me abundantly, and I want to look up. 
because I know that's where it comes from. It's not coming down from me working with my nose to the grindstone. It is happening because of a generous God who is giving to me. And more things in life will not bring joy, but will just bring temporary happiness. An up-and-out worldview says I can be generous because, after all, everything I have is a gift from God already. And God is the source of my well-being. So instead of an owner thinking that everything I have is mine and I own it, an up-and-out worldview is I'm a caretaker or a steward. And I look up and I look out. How can I bless others? Interesting, if you read, and we talk about, I talk about Acts all the time. The book of Acts, I guess, is my favorite book of the Bible, but it seems like I say that about everyone. But, but, but this is what I find curious about the book of Acts. In the first, at least the first six chapters, I think probably further than that, but certainly in the first six chapters, you'll notice that the church has this exponential growth, right? At one point, 3,000 people joined the church. What would that look like here? Can you imagine to go from this size to next Sunday, 3,000? We need a lot more cookies. Yes, we would. We would need a lot more of a lot of things, right? Here's what's fascinating in those chapters. Now, there was a spirit indwelling, but I believe that spirit's indwelling here as well. But here's what I noticed was so unique about that group. It was about what they were doing. They were living a different worldview. See, the worldview in the first century was no different than the 21st century. It was all about down and in. What can I get for myself and focused on where I'm going to get it? But this group of people started living up and out. It says that throughout those first six chapters, it says that they sold everything. And they gave it to the poor. That's looking out, right? In chapter 6 of Acts, there's this unique story where, uh, where it says that there were some, some, some widows who were not being cared for, and they complained to the church. And the church said, we got to do something about this. And so they got some folks together and said, let's start serving people up and out. And that change brought about increased men and women coming to the church. Because it was a unique and different worldview. That continues through Acts. I mean, I mean, you can read in the first several centuries of the church growing, it always had to do with the way the men and women of the church acted differently than the rest of the world. Because there's these two competing worldviews. One is, I have to get what's mine. And the other is, how can I give away what was never mine to begin with? And it's these two different worldviews. Jesus talks about these throughout Scripture. Uh, uh, again, up on the screen, he said this one time. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Now, pause there for a second. There's these three great wells in, in first century Palestine. There are three ways you would measure your wealth. So if the IRS were doing your taxes in the first century, the first thing they'd ask you is how, many clo how much clothing do you have? All right, so you'd have to go and count your closet because fine and elaborate clothing was a sign of great wealth in the first century, considering that most men and women had two changes of clothing. 
And so clothing was one resource. The second one was corn and grain because it was an agrarian society, so corn was money. And then the third was gold or coins because there was a monetary standard of the day. And so Jesus is referencing the three great sources of wealth in Palestine in the first century. He says, don't store up treasures, don't store up all these things on earth because what happens to clothing? Moths will eat it. Rust destroys it, and actually the word rust there could be translated rot, which now connects to the corn, and where thieves can break in and seal it, because that's what always happens in every movie. Verse 20, store your treasures instead of earth, instead of the down and in worldview, have a up and out worldview. He said, store your treasures in heaven where malls and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, and this is the verse that talks about these two worlds. He says, wherever your treasure is, if you're storing your treasure in down and in worldview, or you're storing your treasure in an up and out worldview, wherever you're storing your treasure, the desires of your heart will also be there. Jesus is saying that there's these two places, there's these two worlds where we can store our wealth. The first world or the first kingdom or the first perspective He's calling earth, it's down and in. It's temporary, it's filled with rot and theft and insecurity. Or there's a second world, a second perspective that's heavenly. It's a worldview that's up and out, and it's eternal, and it's secure. And Jesus lets these followers know, and he wants us to know in the 21st century, that our heart, your heart, and my heart is in a tug of war between these two worlds. And we must decide where we're going to store our stuff. Which perspective am I going to live by? Which kingdom am I going to serve? Am I going to be down and in? Or am I going to live up and out? Jesus was saying, if everything that a person values and sets his heart on is earthly, they will have no interest in any other world but their own. And this person is only looking down and in. But there is another world out there. It's an eternal world with an eternally, entirely different perspective, and it's up and out. But your heart, Jesus says, can only focus on one. We can only focus on one. We can't have divided perspectives. We're drawn to one kingdom or the other. But here's what's so curious, is we were made for one worldview. Even though there's two, we were made for one. We were made to live up and out, but we chose down and in. You can see that in um, Genesis. There's a poem in Genesis. It's the chapter one is a poem. It's a Hebrew poem, and in it, the author says this. God created human beings. He created them godlike. 
reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. It rhymes a little better in Hebrew. But in this Genesis poem, there is this interesting Hebrew word that up in the message version, it's the word reflecting God's nature. The word there for reflecting could also be translated a drawing of God or a tracing of God's image. Have you ever put your hand on a piece of paper and traced your hand? I was going to have us all do that. I was going to pass out paper and have you all trace a hand, but instead I'm going to let you do it for homework. Do you notice the tracing is the exact shape of your hand? And this is what Genesis 1.27 is teaching us, that you and I are an exact tracing of God, a reflection, and we are made to imitate God's character. And so the author of, he, uh, of Genesis is telling us that when God created humanity, he created us to be upward and outward. Upward and outward. We're meant to look like God. We're made in the same image, the same character. It's who we are supposed to be. This is one of my favorite ways for us to see. So how, what does God look like? How does God work? Uh, what is John 3.16, right? It's a famous verse everyone remembered in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It may be the only Bible verse I know by memory. It's sad, isn't it? But here's what I want us to do. If you take that verse and you boil it down or distill it down to its essence, it's two words. God gave. God gave. And how did God give? God gave extravagantly. God gave generously. God even, you could say, gave irrationally because God loved the world so much that he did what? He, and what did he give? His only son. To who? To whoever would believe. And what do we receive? Eternal life. God gives. God is oriented towards up and out. And you and I are made in the reflection and the image of God to be up and out. But somewhere along the line, the second worldview got involved down and in. That occurs in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the story of humanity is that we were living this upward and outward focused life and we were tricked and we chose instead downward and inward because the fruit looked good and we could become God. And it was all about us choosing a different world. We were made to look up and out, but our brokenness and our sin and our rebellion turned our hearts down and in. And ever since then, humanity has been in a battle between these two worlds, between these two perspectives. 
And so the challenge for us then is that as we learn to develop and learn to live in an upward and outward world, we can, or we develop generosity, not just in our resources, but even in our forgiveness. See, really, forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice between living down and in or upward and out. Because I can choose, if someone wrongs me, I can choose to not forgive them. And I can choose to hold on to hatred and anger and resentment. And I can choose to hold on to the circumstance that, that, that was involved. And when I'm doing that, it's all about me, downward and inward. Or I can choose to recognize that God has forgiven me and I can be just like God and forgive someone else, upward and outward. The culture would argue that that's irrational. The culture would say, if someone hurts you, you don't forgive them. If you forgive them, they may do it again. That's what the culture says. That's a downward and inward worldview. As followers of Christ, we want to be upward and outward. We can view our time that way as well, right? Because, you know, it's interesting is we all can make more money, but you can't make more time. We all have the exact same amount of time. We're socialists in that way. Would that be right? I guess. We'll talk about that later. And so you can view your time as downward and inward. This is my time. I can't volunteer more time. I've only got so much available because my time is my time. Or we can view our time upward and outward, generously offering our time, looking up and out. How can I become more like Jesus? Because if God gave, I want to give as well because I'm supposed to reflect my heavenly Father. Generously give away your resources. Assume the best in a circumstance. And when we do, we're becoming more and more like our Father who gives. So in my Bible, I have written in the side next to this story about the rich young ruler, I have written a question. I wonder what might have happened if the rich young ruler had chosen differently. See, in that moment, Jesus kind of challenged him. He said, yeah, you've been living this great downward and inward life. And he says, I recommend you reorient it towards upward and outward. Get rid of all the trappings, all the stuff that's been holding you back and you're just seeking after more of mine and instead give it away and just live this different lifestyle, this upward and outward lifestyle. And the story says that he walked away sadly. I wonder what might have happened if he had made a different decision. If he had chosen a heavenly response perspective about his stuff. I wonder what opportunities he missed. I wonder if we would have learned his name. I wonder what his legacy might have been. He was satisfied with down and in. And he gave up. Up and out. And then I have to ask, what opportunities am I missing? Because in these two worlds, there are times that I find myself down and in. When I should be up and out. 
What opportunities might you be missing for those same reasons? See, we will continue to live in these two worlds, these two kingdoms, these two places. The kingdom perspective we choose will own your heart because it's where our heart lives. And it seems irrational. The world tells us it's crazy to give your time to the church. It's crazy to give your hard-earned money to the church, to give it away to someone else. It's crazy that you would offer forgiveness. It's irrational. They're just going to hurt you again. But down and in is an earthly view, and it's a very limited view. Up and out, though, up and out is heavenly. It all belongs to God, and there is unlimited resource. I wasn't planning on telling this story, but at the beginning, I mentioned that uh, Father's Day used to be an uncomfortable time for me. And the reason it was an uncomfortable and disappointing and not happy time is that I didn't have a dad growing up. And uh, I didn't see him for uh, decades in my life. And uh, when I was uh, 17, he didn't come to my, or 18, he didn't come to my high school graduation. He didn't come to my wedding. He didn't come to all those kinds of events. And uh, I was sitting uh, right on a stage just like this, and I was there uh, doing a youth camp. And uh, we were at this camp, and there were kids who were praying. And, and this gentleman came up to me and sat next to me, and I was just young, 20-something. And he said, Rick, tell me about your dad. And I said, oh, and I, I used a four-letter word to describe him at that moment. And I said, yeah, he's kind of a, just an awful guy. And, you know, I went on and on and on. And, and then he said this. He said, you know, Rick, until you can forgive your dad, God can't do the work in your life that he wants to do. And I just went, oh, thanks. I'll do that. And I just tried to get away as quick as I could. And uh, at the time, I had started journaling, and I said I was married, and uh, we didn't have any children, and I just was uh, uh, not sure what to do with that, and I kind of blew it off and was happy to blow it off. And then months later, I'm sitting in my office. Uh, I had a youth pastor's office. It was a closet, like legit. It really was a closet. I'm not making that up. It was a closet, and I was in a closet, and I was doing my devotions, and for some reason, I don't know why, I don't, it wasn't a bolt of lightning, it wasn't anything like that. I remember writing in a journal, God, I forgive my dad. And then I said, will you forgive me for being so filled with hate? That was it. No bolt of lightning, no angel chorus, Nothing. That was it. Closed the book, went on with my day. I even went on with my life. Months later, I'm not kidding you, months later. So many months that I'm no longer in the closet youth pastor's office. I'm now, I've made the big time. I've got a window. And I'm in my office, sitting in my church, and I get a phone call, and the secretary comes through, and she says, Rick, it's your dad. Now, she doesn't know anything about my dad. She doesn't know it's been decades since I've talked to him. And I went, okay, thank you. And there the light is flashing. Now, you need to know that I had a whole plan. If I saw my dad again, I was so filled with hatred that I had a plan, and I was going to tell him exactly what I thought about him and how, how awful he had been when I was a child and how, awful, and how he missed out on a really cool guy me, right? That was my whole plan. I was going to really give it to him. 
And right then in that moment, again, no angels, no lightning bolts, nothing like that. I'm looking at the flashing light, and I thought, what am I going to do? Down and in would have given him the speech. Up and out. Said, God's forgiven me, I have to forgive him. Hey, hello? (laughs) Awkward, weird conversation for sure. Do you want to go to lunch? Uh, Yeah, let's go to lunch. Turns out he was around the corner. Drives over to my office, jump into the car, and we're going to uh, a restaurant on a corner. We get into the parking lot, and he says, uh, could you forgive me for being such? And then he used some words that we won't use in church. And I said, I already have. Thanks. But here's why I tell you that. That's an irrational story. It's not what you're supposed to do. Well, it's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) But the world would tell us it's not what you're supposed to do. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story. I didn't see him again for another decade. And then he showed up again. And I didn't see him again for another decade. And it's been close to a decade since. But none of that is mine anymore. I can tell you that story with clarity and confidence that I am forgiven of any wrongdoing I had in that relationship and I feel bad for him and what he's missing and has missed. The church should lead the way in irrational generosity in every way so that it causes red flags, not with the IRS, but red flags around your workplace and red flags around your neighborhood and red flags around your family that says, that's not the way the world lives. Why are you living differently? That we can practice this irrational generation, a a, a generosity in forgiving others, that we can give time and resources because we're hardwired that way. It's the way God designed us. And we can rediscover our heart and we can reorient towards this up and outward kingdom. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? And so, God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for the way that we've had this opportunity to worship you. God, I pray that as we spend this, uh, uh, this afternoon honoring our dads and spending time with our families, that, God, we would uh, practice and live out an upward and outward orientation. And that, God, we would be part of uh, making the world a better place and changing lives through Jesus. And we thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day.